So welcome to the latest edition of the podcast, A Trip Down Goddington Lane, which is a chance to catch up and reconnect with older Lavians, talk about their sporting journey and find out how sport has impacted on their lives. So again, I'll be your host, Andy Kenwood, and with me, as always, is Mike Perks. And equally, as always, behind the scenes is sick former James Double, who does all the clever IT stuff. I'm also going to give a mention today to Alfie Bestian, one of our students, who put together the, the jingle that you can hear at the start of this podcast. So, Alfie, thank you very much for your contribution. But the star of today's show is James Toop. James Toop was another excellent all-round sportsman. You might be getting bored of me saying that. They all seem to be. But James Toop's achievements really are the stuff of legend. He was an excellent rugby and cricket player representing the first team, but it was in fives that he really was something of a superstar. He won four national Eton Fives championships, six national Rugby Fives championships, which was the second most titles in history. He's the only person to have won both codes of the game of fives. He got a full blue from Oxford University in the year 2000 and then set up England handball, bringing handball to inner city schools. Since university, James was the CEO of Ambition Institute for eight years, leading to it becoming the largest leadership development charity in education. James was a teacher in the inaugural cohort of Teach First and has worked for ARC and Monitor Group. He is chair of Angel Oak Academy Peckham on the board of English Mastery and is a former trustee of the Access Project. A couple of years ago, he then set up a new charity, which you may have heard of, called Bite Back 2030, which he set up with Jamie Oliver. And the aim is to halve childhood obesity by 2030, focusing on diet, nutrition and physical activity. James, thank you for giving up your time and welcome to the podcast. I'm not quite sure how you've got time to fit us in, but uh, but thank you for doing so. Pleasure. Well, great, great to be on the, the podcast and uh, yeah, hopefully hopefully share some memories from down the, down the lane. That is what we're very much looking forward to. So uh, yeah, the, it, I normally start with sort of saying, let's talk about your school days, but actually, and we and we will get to that, but it seems to me that what you're doing at the moment is really fascinating. Are you able to maybe expand on the uh, the charity work that you're involved in? Yeah, sure. Happy to. I mean, it's uh, it's, it's a really, really funny one because um, I, I suppose I got into the job initially because I thought with somebody who's got real interest in sport and physical activity that I was going to be getting into something that was promoting loads of that. And when you look at the science and the data behind childhood obesity, um, there's a th th there were lots of myths, I think, around it and what drove obesity. Um, and actually, most of it is diet and nutrition. Um, so Jamie likes to say, you know, you can't outrun a, outrun a bad diet. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of um, a lot of what we're trying to do is uh, to, to change the food environment. Like, you know, what what kids see on high streets, uh, the food that's served in schools and to try and make that healthier. Um, because at the moment, like the, the diet that's served up to young people in the UK um, over the last 40 years has got progressively more towards highly processed food, food on the go, takeaway snacks, which has sort of then seen the surge of obesity rates amongst kids. And the other thing is that it's heavily uh, determined by how much your parents earn. So if you're poorer, you are twice as likely to be overweight or obese as um, young people who live in the richest uh, parts of the country and so a big part of what really drove me to it was trying to address some of those inequalities and level the playing field um, as, as well and if you think about it um, the poorer you are and the poorer you become the less opportunity you have to buy fresh fruit and fresh veg you've got to you know you, you've, you've got less disposable income to spend on fresher food and uh, which is typically more expensive than cheaper processed food so um, I was really surprised getting into it, how much I'd get into food, diet and nutrition. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been a real journey. It sounds, it, sounds, it sounds so interesting. Do you think some of this has its roots in, I mentioned when I was sort of talking about the, the history of what you've been up to over the years, um, that when you set up England Handball for those inner, inner city schools, you know, you, you've obviously always had an an interest in areas of social deprivation, perhaps, and so on. Do you think there was an element of that in it, or is it was that just by chance? Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I, from Teach First, really, from Teach First days, um, 
all all of my work bar a few years in management consultancy all of it has been about trying to address some type of inequality or some type of injustice um so teach first um for the listeners who don't know the program you you go into a really challenging school um typically has um quite high levels of children on free school meals um and you teach there for two years and so what it's about is trying to get the best teaching talent into some of the most challenging schools and you know this is going back 20 years when school you know schools have really come on over the last 20 years and 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 progressed so far in their standards and attainment but it was really hard then 20 years ago to get um graduates to go and teach in some of the toughest schools and so I went in and did that and and actually I mean I, I remember uh, um, I trained up my I brought them back to Olabs actually because I was teaching in New Addington and I got the, the, the kids from the school to go, go to Olabs I trained them up in fives um, I took them into the nationals um, to, to play against Eton and Uppingham and all of these other schools um, you know and, and to have kids from New Addington competing against those schools we, we had a piece on the BBC London News we we're in the Guardian and so like that I don't know, just trying to give opportunities and, and broaden horizons and address some of those inequalities has been something that's gone through my career. And uh, Ambition, we were basically training up amazing middle leaders and head teachers to so that you had the best leadership talent in schools that typically couldn't attract it either. Um, and to try and, you know, really, really create amazing schools. So so that's always been a thread throughout everything that I've, uh, I've done. Um, and I guess it's been in education for the last 10 15 years and has now moved out to child health and nutrition and it's, it's 2030 i mean i don't know in some ways that seems a long way away another way but in other ways maybe for you with your project that seems like oh it's, it's not far away at all does it does it feel like an overly ambitious program or do you feel like no that's that's the date we can achieve this by I, de- I definitely think we can achieve it but i think we need to move really fast i mean it is literally like turning around an oil tanker um it a lot of what we focus on is trying to um is 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 government engagement um so the way it was in when we when we set it up um the i i I have to i hadn't really sort of thought too much about the childhood obesity debate but there was a lot of um discussion and debate around about it and it was typically uh public health professionals like the chief medical officer um talking about how we needed to do things like reformulate food which means like take sugar salt and um fat out of food um versus the food industry who were trying to lobby to advertise and promote um basically really unhealthy food to kids so they get them hooked on it and eat more and more of it and so it's why you see cartoon characters on um on kids kids products kid food it's why a lot of your a lot of the students at olas will be getting um, Instagram targeted Instagram messaging from Uber Eats and Domino's and all you know it, it's um, and so but but there was never the voice of young people in the debate and we said look actually what we want to do is make this about young people really leading the change and calling for the change they want to see so we so bite back is a youth-led movement um, and typically we're and that's really evident from the from the website you know if you look on that the pictures of that it's not I know Jamie Oliver sort of a, a big name and so on um but look at when i look through it there i think i've had one picture of jamie oliver and there are just loads of pictures of 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 young people so that message can seems really yeah. clear we and we felt that that they're the put it, putting the power in 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 youth leadership and there's there's more and more of this obviously um you know the, the most famous is like greta thunberg or malala yusasai but you know it's like let's put the power in young people's hands and let them co- tell government the change they want to see, tell corporates what they want to change, tell their head teachers how they want the school food environment to be healthier and fairer. Um, one, one of our teenage, and, and yeah, one of our teenagers started a petition in the very early days of lockdown. Um, it was the first petition to get free school meals funded through the holidays. Um, and she, Christina was her name. She spearheaded the first two government U-turns at Easter and May half term last year. Um, and so not many people know, but like those two U-turns paved the way for the Rashford campaign that kicked off in the summer. And if we hadn't had those two U-turns, I don't think there would have been a big summer campaign to, to do. Um, and just on Monday, we've been, uh, uh, one of our youth leaders has been leading a campaign, a guy called Dev from Leicester, he's at um, year 11 now, um, to try and stop, uh, put an end to online targeting of kids with junk food marketing. 
Um, and we had a we just released a report that was in the Sunday Times um, and Dev was presenting to a roundtable of MPs and peers from the House of Lords to put across his perspective. So it, it is really powerful. Um, and, you know, if I've seen anything over the last sort of 10, 20 years, it's also been the rise of youth leadership. And, you know, we 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 one of the things I think we, you know, we, we often get wrong is we just don't listen enough to young people because they see it and they know and they're the ones with lived experience of the issues. And, you know, the more we can put the power in their hands, um, I think it, it's it's a much more powerful message. And it's and it's coming directly from the kids who want to see the change. Yeah, and, and, and really inspiring, isn't it, for us to see that. And, uh, you know, obviously for us in education as well, to see young people thrive when they're given that opportunity must be must be really rewarding for you to to sort of see that and see what they're what they're achieving. And I'm sure that they are not that they're doing it for this, but they're they're learning all sorts of skills as they're going along, uh, having, having been given this this platform to to present from as well. And that, that's obviously something that I want to sort of delve into with you, James, at some point during this is sort of what skills you've learned as you've gone along and in particular in relation to uh, to sport where you've been heavily involved in sport for many years and and how sport has sort of helped you get to where you are now have the skills that you are and, and sort of shape you as a person so to do that perhaps we need to sort of delve back a little bit into uh, into what a young James Toop uh, was like what 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 are your memories from from school and getting into sport and what you were like as a person as a as a youngster? Um, <clears throat> gosh, that, I mean that is going going back a long way, but I'll um I'll do do my best. I mean I, I mean as you said, like sport sport has been everything to me. Um, and you know I still I still do it regularly now. Um, it's just a habit that you form, I think, at an early age, and then you continue into adulthood. But you know every everything I've learned from a leadership perspective, I. I I've learned on the rugby pitch or on the five score or, you know, and I, I, I think, um, and, and I have to say like um, a massive amount I learned from the teachers at school, but in particular, Howard Wiseman, um, who's, you know, was my coach and now lifelong friend and fives partner. And, you know, but I've learned so much, I think from him and just the, what he brought to practice um, and training. Um, but I, I think, I think when I was very, when I was young, I always had a natural, aptitude for anything with a ball um i you know i, I think I, I don't think i did particularly well on like long distance cross country but give me a rugby ball or a cricket ball or a fives ball and i was very much at home um I, I i definitely i was always really competitive um i i think i've definitely mellowed mellowed over the years i would i would i would definitely mentally i'd lose it at points uh, my, my weakness always on a fives court was that i would get too angry or cross or frustrated with things and I would sort of like lose a set just from trying to get over that point and I think I've you know I've I've learned I've I've learned to sort of manage I think those emotion the emotional side of it um but I think you know for sport it's you know it's the it's the discipline the the training the practice um the the mental strength you know when you when you get in a tough situation um and you're you know you're you're staring defeat in the face you know how you how you turn that around and you get back onto a, a winning streak i mean you, you learn you learn so much from it and you know and then the, and it's the people as well it's the friends you make um fives are sort of slightly different as well because you know in a when you're playing rugby you've got all your teammates um and you know and, and fives you do often play in teams but very often it's your pair and the psychology of playing literally with one other person on court who you're standing next to like you're, you're literally almost touching each other shoulder by shoulder a lot of the match um how you're how you convey positivity in your body language um support each other like it's it's a uh, that that's something i think is a real you know real art that i've learned you know learned over over the years as well well that, that's really something i wanted to sort of delve into uh with you because you're one of those sportsmen who yeah you know no, known for your fives primarily but equally I know that you're a very strong sort of team player as I say in the, as a rugby player uh, and as a very strong cricket player but they're all they're all very different aren't they in terms of that that team dynamic um, where did you feel most comfortable did you feel more comfortable as part of that bigger team when there were you've got you and 14 other people on a on a rugby pitch or did you feel more comfortable when it was just you and just one other person? How does that change your, the psychology for you? Um, I always, 
I, I probably actually that it, it's funny because I'd add in rugby fives as well, which I which I picked up uh, when I went to Oxford. Um, um, I actually felt most comfortable playing rugby fives when I was on my own. Um, I think probably after years of Eton fives, where what probably one of my other weaknesses was um, like that I always used to worry about my partner too much and how they were playing and Howard always used to just say to me like just focus on yourself just do you know do what you can do because um, uh, and I think actually in rugby fives it was really nice and liberating not have to worry about anybody else you could just concentrate on yourself um, I, I really enjoyed that bit of it um, and like rugby fives is also very different physically to Eton fives you know, a lot of it is about the training you do off the court to get your fitness level up to a, um, you know, it's, it's a bit like marathon running. It's sort of you um, on your own sort of pushing yourself. Um, and then probably at the other end, I really, um, I really love the rugby. Um, I have to say, like looking back on it now, um, I don't think our year group was particularly strong. Uh, we were all a bit too small, um, but we, I, I really enjoyed that environment and, um, you know, playing with the team and I played at fly half or scrum half. So I often felt like I was really in the center of the game and directing, directing play and that. Um, but I, I, yeah, that, that, that bit, I really, I really haven't had that kind of camaraderie um, in the same way that you're all in it together in that moment in the, on, on the pitch. So I think at those two ends of the spectrum, those are probably the, the most enjoyable experiences and like cricket, cricket, although there's 11 of you, um, that cricket often is dominated by individual performances um and although it is a team sport you know if you're if you're batting a lot of the time you're kind of really living to see how many runs you score and if you're a bowler it's how many wickets do you take so cricket's more of a kind of collection of individual performances tied together um and obviously the more of them that go well the more likely the team is to win so i yeah so i definitely felt it was like rugby and probably rugby fives at the other ends that i love the most Picking up on the the Eton fives, then somewhere in the middle, where it's you and one other, uh, you and a partner. <clears throat> this always intrigues me. This because, like I say, it's quite an intense partnership relationship. You with lots of the people you'll have played with, um, the Seb Coolies and so on. You'll have played them presumably for a, a number of years, and you build up a real rapport. Does the psychology change slightly if you are the dominant player in that pair? Um, I suspect for you mostly, uh, and I know you'll be modest about this, but I suspect mostly in, in your playing career, James, you've been the better player. Um, how, how does it change, though, if you've ever had the experience of thinking, actually, my partner's loads better than me now or much worse? Does that does that have an impact on you, your performance? It does. Yeah, it does. It does change it because I think um, <clears throat> the first. So I won three. Um, an under 18 national uh, Eton Vives titles at school. And um, I, th I think still the only person to have, have done that, but we was with three different partners as well. And the first year I won it with, when I was year year 11 with Matt Wiseman, who was a couple of years older. And I, at that point, um, I hadn't, I hadn't won anything big, um, but I, I was sort of brought in to be the steady hand. Um, like Matt had amazing flair and could destroy opponents um but when he got to the but he got very nervous in like the big big matches and so Matt just needed someone who was really really steady um to just keep things going and um and was that more when you say steady does that you're talking presumably partly about performance but you're also talking about you were the the calming influence for him as well not just from playing perhaps but yeah you know try to try to um Calm, calm his mental state down as well so that his state of arousal in terms of playing wasn't too high and he got carried away and so on is that is that a fair comment or yeah 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 I think so I think so because there's also there's also something quite scary about someone who just doesn't make mistakes doesn't show emotion um if you're you know if you're the opponents it's uh you're just be like god this, this person doesn't seem to react to anything and everything I throw at them they just sort of keep go you know keep ticking along um so yeah so I think it was definitely that and I I remember my god matt and i had a um it, it was it was the first day i think that um uh olabs had ever won a big national eaton fives uh title um back in 1997 we and seb cooley and i played in the under 16 final in the morning against a pair that had never been beaten before from eaton and we beat them in four sets um 
and it was it was a really epic match and um i suppose i was the more dominant player in that partnership at the time although i have to say seb has completely obliterated all of my eaton fives titles now he's won so many um <laughs> one of the lessons i've learned as well is if you were if you were good or not the best at school doesn't mean you won't be the best as an adult like if you keep training and keep practicing there are loads of great fives players who were who were average at school and seb was way better than average but like a lot of people who are average you just keep playing of won lots of national titles so like ne never give up keep training um but I, yeah that was different in the morning and then after a four set match which lasted about three hours in the morning matt and i then played a five set semi-final where i think we went two nil up lost the next two sets and like literally that fifth set was like touch and go i think i think it um right up until the end and we played for about four and a half hours i mean it was mental um and um I can't even remember what the question was now, but like I was, um, I, I played very different roles in both those partnerships. Um, and I think over the years it changed like my, the second year when Johnny Reese and I in 98 were, we ended up playing Harrow in the final. Um, and I think, and, and then similarly in 99 when Seb and I played that same Eton pair that we'd beaten two years before under 16s, like Johnny, I think Johnny Reese and Seb Cooley kind of kept me together, to be honest. Um, there was like, the pressure just sort of built because it was in the second year, John, John and I could have won it, you know, two titles in a row. And then the third with Seb. Um, and I kind of almost needed Seb and Johnny to get us, get, get through the first couple of sets before I steadied down. So I think it does. Yeah. There's, there's, there's pressure on everybody, but pressure in different ways. Um, and I think, uh, yeah, there it was de it's definitely different different roles and different pressures in in those situations. Yeah, do, do you like pressure? Do you like pressure, or did you not like pressure? Um, I definitely. I mean, I. It was. It's. It's really. It's a really good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I. I. I really. I really love the competitive situation. You, like you've got to you've got to put yourself in those really difficult high pressure situations um to win titles and so um it's much easier when you're chasing someone down than when you're being chased mm. and, and i spent and so i i sort of i had it in rugby fives because i of the six rugby fives singles that i won um i won five of them back to back so uh, and every year, like the pressure of everyone chasing you down, um, uh, you've kind of got to re reframe that in your mind. Um, and I, I used to, at, at various points, I sort of got a bit down about it, you know, because you feel like everyone's hunting you the whole time. And, you know, every, every time you go on court, all you can really do is lose because um, if you've won, then you've just met everyone else's expectations um and everyone expected you to win anyway but if you if you don't you've got all of this pressure building up on you and i i actually had some um uh it wasn't sports psychology but it was like a, i had a psychologist i worked with him it was actually someone who worked with me on the in the school leadership charity and we and we sort of just talked about how you need to reframe it in your mind and that actually um you're you're playing a really kind of important role right because you're setting the bar that everyone else is trying to work up to and actually rather than feeling like all you can do is lose what you're kind of you know it's um it's your job to sort of stay there and to make make yourself unbeatable and let everybody else chase you that's sort of part of the dynamic of the game and and i um yeah it just it just really helped me kind of reframe how i thought about the pressure and the situation um but it's it's definitely it's definitely way easier to get to number 1 than it is to stay at number 1 i think it's a very like very different um different situations i think um and it's and it's also really hard i think um it's just hard to sustain that focus and that energy i think as well at, at school go, go on then mike you sorry, jump in. sorry sorry to uh, jump in here guys um i'll just i love that how you that concept of reframing pressure and you apply it strictly in the, like a sports context of how you uh used it as a is almost like a, a motivational tool to, to stay ahead of the game would you say that that's coming to your professional life now and is there examples that you can give where you've kind of actually 
maybe gone into a big presentation or delivered on a, a really important project but and actually have got yourself a little bit worked up but then thought actually yeah no actually I've 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 got tools I've got experiences where I've had to deal with that pressure have you got any examples or any like applications like that at all James so I mean, I'm very I'm very lucky like in a lot of my um a lot of my career I've been like leading organizations um and there's there's always there's always pressure leading an organization um you know you're <clears throat> no no one ever remembers uh you know what what you did it you know a year ago it's it you're you know that 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 thing sports people say is you're only as good as your last performance like it's definitely true um and so um i you know that there are lots of competitive situations uh, at work but I think because I because I work in the charity sector, the not for profit sector, um, it's a much more collaborative environment. Um, you know, ultimately, the, the the issues and the problems you're trying to fix require multiple people to all work together from different organisations. Um, so, to you know, to, to solve that ultimate ultimate problem, like Bite Back 2030 on its own won't halve childhood obesity. We need to be working with other health NGOs, um, government, Public Health England, you know, all of those people together. Um, and I, I don't know, in my in my work role, I think about myself more as the um, uh, I don't know, I, I, I'd probably go for like Jurgen Klopp or somebody, you know, my, my job is to, um, yeah, on certain things, I want to be competitive. But actually, most of the time, what I'm trying to do is to get the best out of everybody else, to take everybody else on the journey. And so I've almost had to find myself um, like if I if I. In, in that leadership role, if I'm getting too competitive or I'm wanting to push things too hard, um, I'm invariably um, demotivating other people or disempowering them. And so I've like that mindset that I've had on court, that kind of um, uh, I've had to actually adapt and change at work. Um, where I think it really does come into its own is when you when you're properly backed into a corner or um something goes really wrong that that ability to stay calm under pressure and go right okay i've um I, i've been here before um you know it like it can't get as bad as this thing and i just and i know um like if any anyone who's played a particular sport right you often um some some days you just go on court and it's just not working for you um you know and a lot of people talk about um flow in sport and like how how on certain days everything will just be working for you um and i actually again adapted a lot of my practice you know because because i often used to think like if i just try really hard it's going to get better and if i wasn't playing well it was because i wasn't trying hard enough and i wasn't um um and actually i started to deconstruct i read quite a lot of um sports players who choked on uh you know a, like you know the stories about a tennis player who forgot how to serve because the pressure just got to their heads and actually um i remember like breaking down all of my shots or my strategy into a game of like right here are the three things i have to focus on and i'm going to work hard at implementing those and it kind of just got me away from the pressure i was feeling to actually just deconstructing the basics of the shots to get you through those difficult moments and i i suppose in work I've definitely now gone into situations where I've just said, right, okay, I just need to like get through today or get through this week. Um, and as, as long as I don't give up and I'm still in the game, you know, I'm still, it, it's going to get better next week or the week, something's going to happen. Some trigger's going to happen that's going to start to shift the balance. And that probably has come from being match point two sets down in a fives match where we've been able to turn it around. Um um, so I definitely, yeah. So th those bits, I think I've been able to adapt. Uh, a concept, uh, really great to hear your hear your stories there, James. A concept that comes to mind when, and I, I've never met you before. This is the, f the first time about you, James. Would be the concept of self awareness. You seem like an incredibly self aware individual, both when you were young, knowing your role on the court or in the in, on the rugby pitch or on the in the cricket field. But now that is almost transferred that self-awareness has transferred into your your leadership role in in your business life um that concept of self-awareness how important would you say that is as a leader both in your business life but on the sports field 
Um, I, I mean, I think it's, I don't know if I'd say it's the most important thing, but it's like definitely one of the most important things. Um, I mean, I think, um, uh, what is it? The old phrase, like know thyself, right? I think that if you, if you know what you're good at, you know, um, I, I think going back to that thing about pressure, right? If you know what your triggers are, um, I, 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 as I spend a lot of, or used to spend a lot of time sort of in fives as well going like right how do I kind of create this outer body experience like could I, if I could step out of myself and like look at myself now and go right okay I can see what's happening I know why you're feeling pressure here right how do you start to go you know you, you know what what makes you worry about things what gets you stressed um I think that's that 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 sport stuff I've definitely taken into 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 work um I mean you take it you take it everywhere you take it into um hope my wife doesn't listen to this but it's like you take it into marriage you know you you um you know and particularly under things like lockdown right you know you as much of it's I think it's not just knowing yourself I think it's also having that awareness about how other people tick um and you know f f fives and I'm still playing you know 20 25 years later with Matt Wiseman it's kind of like a marriage right the um you you go through the highs the lows um you're you know that you're in that collective endeavor together and I think you have to know the other people and the other people around you really well so um and I spend quite a lot of time at work role modeling um you know I'll, I'll sort of deconstruct and talk about what I'm finding difficult um because it kind of creates a culture and an environment where actually you allow other people to talk about it um I did I did some work with a lady called Kath Bishop um who was an Olympic rower um, and she talked she's written a book recently about the just the the, uh, the pressure that got put into team gb and the kind of got the check the hunt for medals um that is now you know we're now starting to see it unravel a bit and um you know stories of too much pressure being put on athletes and i i definitely think there's something about the leader's role you know, as, as well as being self-aware, knowing others, it's also about creating that culture where, you know, it's okay to say you're finding something really hard. It's okay, it, it, you know, to to say you're struggling with stuff or, you know, and, and to talk about why you haven't performed that well. And I think that's definitely something I didn't do as well at school. I think like that maturity is mostly calm. I still have like good days and bad days. Um, but I think I think when I was younger, that was where I just, you know, I needed Howard Wiseman to basically be that that's a voice of self-awareness. And like he knew me so well, um, you know, he's almost like me in my CEO role in my charity life now. Like just he did when I was a kid, just coaching me, knowing just the right things to say, when to pick me up and tell me I was amazing, when to tell me the things I need to do better. You know, I think I think when you're younger, like that that maturity and self-awareness comes but you know mo mostly when you're a, when you're a, at school you're trying to figure yourself out um and mostly through university as well you're still learning all of that stuff so um and i and i think yeah i i, I think a lot of what i learned you know from from that leadership perspective also just came from came from howard um i think it's sort of any any time i ever talk about fives and school days and whatever i mean there were loads of amazing um staff and friends at Olabs. It's, it's such an incredible place but I think you know if I had to single anyone out as an influence who sort of shaped my life it would be Howard. Oh, that, that's that's excellent um James it's, it's so refreshing to hear you speak so positively about the school but you also your experiences if I could delve into that concept of leadership a little bit more um a lot of the Olavians which will be listening to this podcast um we'll we'll be endeavoring to go into leadership roles in in sport in life um more broadly if you were to give them a, uh, some advice or maybe attributes that you look for in a leader what would you say would be maybe your top few uh you know um points phrases um values what, what would you say they'd be so <clears throat> i I mean, I, I'm a massive fan of servant leadership. So, you know, from so so in that in that model, like no no one's bigger than the than the cause. Um, you know, I think there was there used to be this concept of hero leadership where 
you know you'd you know we'll take take it to a to a, to a fives context right you know you're the amazing fives player and you can kind of win the match on your own or the the best player in the rugby team who scores these heroic tries right that i sort of think that notion of heroic leadership has led to some of the cultural failings we've seen in organizations and um in and sporting context as well like i'm i'm a real fan now of you know you are there for the bigger goal um and you know your your job is to play your part in achieving that particular goal so with that comes humility um it's about collaboration about developing others um and i think um you know you 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 definitely want to see people who are confident who know their you know know their stuff um who get stuff done like in any in, in any work environment you need to see people who are you know who are organized who you know i think i think ca can i trust this person to to get done what what they need to get done that's like but for me that's like a bare minimum like it's the people who can um who who think bigger who will say in a team look that wasn't me that was them who did that they did an amazing job you know it's that humility it's the development of others the collaboration that's sort of that team thing that i think um is really really important and i think like if you're if your goal is to be the leader, um, it's probably the wrong goal. I think like focus on developing and demonstrating the leadership characteristics and you'll probably go further faster. It's a bit like, you know, in a bit, a bit like I was saying in, in, in where I got to with fives. It's like if if I thought about winning the match, I'd start to feel the pressure and the, um, you know, and the, the fear of losing the match. But if I think about, OK, right, my job is to. Do, this is my tactics and I'm going to do these things really, really well. I've, I found I would find my flow and perform even better. Um, uh, so that, that, that's excellent. And I love the words humility in there. I know you made reference to that. Um, and I'm reading a book at the moment. Um, it's called Legacy. I'm not sure whether you've come across it, but it's written from the from about the New Zealand All Blacks. And in the first chapter of the book, they reference the word humility and how it's the foundation of the All Blacks mantra and how they've got almost this sweep the sheds mentality. And they tell a story about Richie McCaw had just become the most capped uh, captain of All Black history. And they have the wonderful presentation and then as soon as the presentation finishes, he's he's the one who's picking up the, the brush and he's sweeping the dirt out of the changing rooms. Um, and it's just so refreshing to hear kind of your context and use that word humility as well. It's something which as teachers, we all always endeavour to um, to try and teach the value of. But you almost need to live it and breathe it yourself to um, to really understand the true meaning of, of the words. Um, so I just it's, that was great, James. So thank you very much for, for, for that story. What what interests me as well, you, James, you talk a lot about community, and I think of of all the sports, every sport will fight their corner, and quite rightly. But the fives community is quite unique in many ways, um, and we still see that today at school, where you'll have year sevens on a court, and they might be pairing up with a sit former to play and obviously it lends itself to that you not every sport is is able to sort of have that um and i think that was that still the case back when when you started there was that that strength sort of across the years and we are one sort of fives family to put it put it bluntly yeah i, I def i definitely think so I and mean, if, if nothing else it wasn't very cool to play fives when i was at school so um uh, you kind of had to stick together for that reason if nothing else well you made it cool james i think it's fair to say <laughs> Well, that's 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 for, it might be the only thing ever i think um certainly kids tell me that but um no i mean i i think um yeah de definitely there were always um opportunities to mix, mix together and play with different years and i think you know i used to from a really early age play a lot of adult fives so right from year seven year eight i was going off and playing in league matches um with with adults and i think um the older laving community has been really really strong um, in that as well so um you know and I, I still have have done so less recently but um certainly for a good number of years after I left school I'd coach a lot of go back and coach a lot of the um youngsters coming up through the school who are now older Lavians so yeah I think that's always been a been a real kind of core core part of it um and just being part of the part of the fun of it as well and, and I think it also helps that you could go and play these you know I, I always remember um whatever fifth uh, trying to get my maths right but 
we, we used to play like 16 pair matches um, at Eton where we'd go off in a massive bus. And, you know, the the result of that match, um, I remember the first time that we beat Eton, it was a really, really big moment for the school. I think we were probably, year, I was year 10 or year 11. Um, but, you know, you, you put out whatever, four, four pairs under 18, five pairs under 16, bunch of pairs under 15, right the way down to under 14 and like every, the match gets done by ha each court that gets one so I think it was a 15 pair match and we won eight seven but you know you had under you had sixth formers watching year nines willing them to win because of the effect it had on the overall result and I think that's probably one of the only sports where you get that kind of dynamic where you've got as a you know and so so I think that was really special um and again I would sort of be remiss if I didn't say again Howard who I think has also been a huge part of creating that culture um but I think before even before Howard I think the older Lavian culture um went you know went went back and there was a really strong if you if you went back to Tooley Street there was a really strong fires community back in Tooley Street before um moving out to Orpington. James at, at school in terms of sport when would you say you were at your happiest? Do you mean age or in which place or? Uh, yeah, in terms of what you were doing, what what would what would have made you happy at school? What would have brought you joy in terms of uh, sport? Was it was it winning? Was it just taking part? Was it a particular sport or a particular memory? Um, the if I one one of the one of the things that really stood stood well if, if, can I give a few and you can edit them out if um, <laughs> um I remember we um as I said before like rugby we weren't an amazing amazing like we were a good team but we um struggled to put too many wins together and I remember going to um we played champion in um I, probably an upper sixth up uh, first 15 match and and I think they put I think the ref had to stop the match once they got to six figures or they were close anyway. I, um, and then we played them again about a month later in the Daily Mail Cup. And we, we lost again. But I think we lost like 18-7 and it was a much, much closer game. And basically we um, I was just I just remember being really proud of like everyone in the team who rose to that occasion Um you know and just the difference in performance level like we could be really proud and hold our heads up um and it was just i think as a rugby team it was one of our proudest performances even though we lost um certainly stuck in my mind um i i definitely from a fires perspective i think like i probably have like two ends of the spectrum right i can vividly remember lo loads of the the great moments like from from school career and they were a lot of the time they were firsts you know it was the first time that we won the um the Williams Cup the first time that we won a national title um and I, I think probably that day that I described before where we won the under 16 nationals in the morning and the under 18 semi-finals in the afternoon and then won the you know the the that the the under 18s the next day that that was just um just just incredible like it was just and I think it was the proximity of all of those big wins one after the other just sort of built up into um just this massive massive thing that was the first for the school as well and we'd stayed up in Eton um and because we had to stay on for the finals I remember staying in a uh, in a and b on Eton High Street with Howard and Seb and Matt which you probably wouldn't be allowed to do these days but we did it then and um like it was just it was a whole experience around that that was just magical so that that you sort of definitely got caught up in the bubble of that but but I also remember being really happy just I mean every break time again I don't think you can do this these days because the courts are probably locked at break time but then you used to be able to go down to the courts without any teacher supervision and just we played every break time every lunch time um we played kind of two up two down um like just do sit silly games and I think just like not having the pressure and just you know that everyone talks about those ten thousand hours um i don't think it was deliberate practice that we were doing but we were just we would just play for hours and hours and hours and like it was basically like our uh, our version of just a kick around and i think that was probably um probably some of my happiest moments
Have you got any, um, I'm sure you have, and uh, enough time has passed now. Have you got any sort of memories of, of things that happened and that you can sort of share share with us uh, from your from your years at school? Um, uh, any, any, again, anything input? Well, I'm just saying from a from a sporting perspective, I don't know if there are members of staff who you remember. I mean, I, I have a memory of Roy Archer telling a story of playing you once in a singles match. <laughs> Um, I think I'd try to play you once. I'd, I'd come up to Shrewsbury with you to accompany, not just you, but the team. And early one morning, I said to you, look, I, I've never played this game. Can we go and play? And I remember after about 15 minutes, I looked like I'd been playing for 15 hours because you just ran me ragged and you stood in the middle looking like you hadn't done anything, which is mm-hmm. exactly what you had done other than uh, just made me run. Uh, and I remember Roy telling me how to beat you, which you yeah. might remember, where effectively he pinned just you up against the wall, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely. I, I mean, Roy would always pick an opportune moment just to walk on court and be like, "Listen, listen, two P. This is this is how you need to play," and like would show me what I needed to do. Um, so uh, yeah, and would invariably end up with me just sort of like pushing pushing me up against the wall, so I was blocked in and uh, and couldn't couldn't go anywhere. Um, God, I remember. Yeah, if only we could get him on to give his version of events. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it'd be completely different, but the. Um, uh, I remember bouncing off various tackle pad, Paul Holland's tackle pads at, at points, um, and 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 being told I was really soft um, and needed to 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 try train harder. Um, God, I'm, so I'm 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 st- struggling to remember other sporting memories. Um, oh, that's all right. There's there's, there's something they all sort of blurred, don't they? Have you have you had any recent sporting memories that have stuck in your mind particularly? Um, so it's been it's been a long time since I've won anything. Um, so, <laughs> um, but we did. Um, I mean, so over over the last. So I think the last last time I won a national title was probably like seven eight years ago. Um, and still still playing regularly with Matt. We we under lockdown couldn't finish the uh, national men's the Kinnaird, which is the national men's title. Um, but actually, Seb, Seb Cooley, who was uh, uh, in my year at school, uh, my my partner when we won the the schools nationals, he's just won his tenth in a row, um, uh, Eton Fives nationals title. So he's just, I mean, in, incredible. And I think actually, for a, a memory of him winning that is, um, I mean, it's just an incredible achievement. I've I talked about doing it for five years. He's done it for ten with his partner. It's just a phenomenal achievement. Um, uh, I think. But we we got to a final, so I actually had that we we played the final um, in the window, like the oct- September October window between the various the two different lockdowns. So we finished off the tournament, and Matt and I uh, lost. We won the first set as we seem to typically do when we play Seb and his partner, and then lost the next three. So I remember I've got that sense of frustration and like, what would we do differently next time? Um, and I and like I've been I've been trying to trying to discover and do some new stuff. So I've been. Um, uh, I've, despite doing loads of sport, I've never had a particularly strong core. Um, so I've been been doing yoga more recently um, under lockdown. Just something you can do in the evenings when the kids have gone to bed. And I've actually been like really enjoying that. Just like learning something new that it's got a very different discipline to it. Um, so I sort of think you keep. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of like keep learning and trying new things. Um, uh, I'm de- I'm definitely planning a rugby fives comeback. Uh, <laughs> When I can get to a court as well, I haven't played that for a few years. That's really interesting to, to, to hear you talk about the yoga. We've we've been doing a lot of fitness with the students online uh, in lockdown, and one of the things we introduced was some yoga and some Pilates. And actually, I think a lot of the students surprised themselves by how much they uh, they enjoyed that. And the other thing I want to pick up on is it's no surprise you know we talked about the community of fives and so on so when I ask about sort of recent things that are sporting successes it's 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 no surprise to hear you actually talk about the and celebrate the success of someone else you know someone who obviously you're close to but nonetheless you sort of that's where your your mind took you and I think that says an awful lot about you and and the fives community of which you've been a member for for so many years James I'm very conscious of of the time can I can I have a few quick fire questions with you Sure, of course. All right, good luck. When was the last time you cried at a sporting event? Um, two, 2010, when Matt and I won our last Canaids title. Name three dinner guests that you would choose to have around. Seb Coe, 
Um, I think Seb Cooley thought he was in there for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Seb Coe, um, Dina Asher-Smith and Andy Murray. OK, great. Thank you. What's your favourite food after a training session? Um, so before before I did my current job, I, I really like used to like um, uh, an eat natural bar and a strawberry milkshake. But now I know how much like sugar they've got in and how bad they are for you. Like, don't don't believe that they're good for you at all. Um, I, I probably now um, uh, just just have a so, something light after training. Um, can't can't quite pack it in like I did before, but I, I probably now I'm on rice rice cakes and peanut butter. Um, I'm probably mixing adult and kid food. <laughs> Other than fives, what's your favourite sport to play? Um, I th I think I think it's probably if this counts as a sport to play. I think like lo long distance running now. Um, like I really just like clear clear my head. My my. Uh, in-laws live up in north wales in anglesey um so often when we're up there i just go on like really long runs just to kind of clear my head um and in many ways it's less about pushing myself or about distance or time it's just about just yeah going and clearing my head and mental health um so i really and like and also when you've got kids and really busy work it's really hard to get space to do that so i i, re I just going for a run is very precious time at the moment Okay, and then lastly, what advice would you give to an eleven-year-old James Toop in terms of sport? Um, do do whatever Howard says. <laughs> James, look, thanks, thanks so much for your uh, your time and wonderful insight into into sport and also the work that you're doing. Good luck with that charity. It sounds such a worthwhile uh, cause, and I'm sure a lot of good with it. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more about it in the in the years to come. But for now, James, your your trip down Goddington Lane is over. But thank you for sharing all of those memories. Really appreciate that. Thanks, James. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Mike. Pleasure.